All right, Cubs fans, gather around because it is that time once again. It's time for the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, exclusive home of Cubs Checking, featuring free ATMs nationwide. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. I'm Cole Wright. I'll be steering this ship for the next few minutes or so. I'll be joined by Tony Andraki, our Cubs reporter over at Marquee Sports Network, and also our Cubs sideline reporter, Taylor McGregor and the Cubs, they came away with a series win in their very first series of the year versus the hated beer makers from Milwaukee. They got the 3-0 win on Friday night versus the Brewers. Then they took one on the chin, 8-3 in a Saturday matinee, and they put a bow on the series, giving David Ross his first career series win, 9-1, as the bats absolutely exploded behind the arm of Tyler Chatwood. But like I said, it all began on Friday evening as Kyle Hendricks started his early candidacy for a Cy Young Award. The 3-0 complete game shutout, as good as it gets. But as solid as that storyline was, I think a lot of people, not only in Chicago, but around the country, they were talking about the seventh inning stretch on the Jumbotron at Wrigley. And if you didn't see it, well, here's the man that played the role of Carl Spackler in Caddyshack. You know him and you love him as Bill Murray. Listen up. All right, everybody. We got to hear for you sing. We want to hear you all the way out to the center field scoreboard. We want to hear that gush and the numbers around fall out into the bleachers. All right. Let's hear it. A one. A two. A three. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for Chicago! If we don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Let's get some runs! Now, we've talked about the Cubs and their winning ways so far this season. And Friday night, it was quite the gem that was twirled by Kyle Hendricks, the professor. A 3-0 win as he started his early candidacy for a Cy Young Award, but the main story coming out of that game had to be the electric seventh-inning stretch at Wrigley Field. And uh, full disclosure, our general manager over at Marquee Sports Network, Mike McCarthy, he told me, he said, hey, hold on to your hat, because this will be the best seventh-inning stretch that you've ever seen or heard. And speaking of joining Taylor McGregor and myself here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast, it is GM of Marquee Sports Network, Mike McCarthy. And Mike, we saw Bill Murray on the Jumbotron with the gigantic stuffed cubby bear. How, how did this all come together? <laughs> how funny was that? Uh, it came together the way things normally come together with Bill Murray, uh, very unexpectedly, very uh, authentically, uh, I guess, what, what would we say, uh, predictably unpredictable. Uh, the Cubs asked uh, asked me if I could get a hold of him to try to do this thing. He, he built up a little relationship. Some of you might know he was actually the first guy that was seen on, on Marquee Sports Network. He taped a uh, an opening for us. So I reached out to him, and um, he said, sure, I'll do it. When do you want to do it? And I said, well, the game is two weeks, so we'd certainly love to do it sooner than later. Give me a call tomorrow. We'll do it. And that, that went on for a week and a half of giving him a call tomorrow. 
which is typical with him. Uh, and all the while having some fun, sort of at my expense. You know, I think he sort of heard the desperation in my voice to get it recorded. And he's he, the night before the game, he said, you probably want to record it today, don't you? I said, I, yes, I really do want to record it today. And he said, yeah, but that's just what they'd be expecting us to do. <laughs> that's what he said. He, he, he finally came around uh, and it was – like I say, in typical Bill Murray fashion, we probably had about six minutes before we had to say we can't we can't get it done. And he popped up on this uh, sort of Zoom-like application we use at Marquee called VMix. He popped right up, and there he was with with the the big bear that he had somewhere in his collection. And uh, he, about two minutes later, uh, he launched into that what you saw one take, and it, it immediately went viral. It was on CNN. Good Morning America, People Magazine, that night, uh, carrying that link. So it was, it was just crazy. And he asked, he was really concerned how it went over once it was on. He called me afterwards. Did, it, did people like it? I said, did people like it? Are, are you crazy? It was, it was unbelievable. Um, he said he thought it was absurd, absurdly funny that he was screaming at people so that you could hear him. Although, as you guys know, Taylor and Cole, because you're in the stadium, you can hear everything. You can hear a you can hear a mice a mouse squeak. It's it's, it's silent. So here he is. Hey! <laughs> it was just crazy. Crazy. Mike, I I believe the relationship goes back to when you were hiring Chris Myers, and Bill gave you a call to recommend him. Do I have that correct? You have that correct. Okay, so I'm not sure what your exposure has been to people of that sort of level of fame. But would you just describe for me what it was like for you to receive a phone call like that? Because <laughs> if Bill Murray called me, I don't think I would be able to talk back to him. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you, I'm, I'm a little older than you, maybe a lot older. So I've met some people and, and I've had some degree of, you know, comfort with interacting with folks of high profile. And, and then there's Bill Murray, you know, there's only one of those. So. I wasn't sure it was really him. It was a voicemail. And the reason I concluded it was him was because uh, he said, I shouldn't tell you this about Chris because he's a good friend of mine, but he lives in L.A. and you can get him cheap because his house is on fire. <laughs> and that was in the middle of the fire in L.A. So I said, that, that's really Bill Murray. And I, I called the number back and he's, he's uh, legendary for being unable to forget. You know, Francis Ford Coppola casts around the movies hoping he's going to show up. But he answered the phone right away, and he was hell bent on us doing the best telecast for the Cubs because he's a he's a legitimate crazy fan. In fact, he dropped off one night and said, "I got to run. I'm at the uh, I'm at the uh, Randy Hundley fantasy camp, and I'm about to get my at bat. And I've been waiting two weeks. I, I think I'm ready to hit the curveball." I thought he was putting me on. He was dead serious. He, he was at a Cubs fantasy camp. Well, we know he was in the in the booth the very first night game with Harry and Steve Stone, and it's I think it's a safe assumption when it comes to Bill Murray, he's never on schedule, Mike, but he's always on time. Now he said that Chris Myers' house was out there on the left coast burning down, and as we took a look at that presentation during the seventh inning stretch, it appeared as if Bill Murray was in his own house, but it didn't look like his regular residence. It appeared to be a, a rustic lake house. It seemed like there was a lot of reclaimed wood there. Where was he at? And how was his signal? Because we know that we got that through VMix, which is pretty much our marquee sports network version of Zoom. Wow. Well, I couldn't just 
disclose where it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, was he at a, you have to tell his exact location. Was he at a lake house? Was he at his regular house? Where was that? I mean, it, it looked so nice. Yeah, it, it was nice. Um, I believe we're talking somewhere in the Carolinas. Uh, there you go. Keep it vague. I like that. <laughs> Do we have anything else planned for Bill Murray coming on the air? I mean, you know, as I sat there and watched it, I was thinking to myself, I said, wow, it sure would be nice to have Bill Murray on, you know, Cubs Live, you know, the pregame show or Cubs postgame live, you know, once upon a time, you know, it would be a, a pretty sick selection. So maybe one we're going to see him come through the show or in the booth. Who knows? Well, I'll tell you what, we, we literally just saw him because he's on the Harry Carey documentary. He, that was one That's of true. the he recorded for us so he, he 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 will be a friend of the network he he, he called me uh, to figure out how to watch it from outside the, the region and he said I don't, this is how he put it i just want to figure out how i can be a marquee man how do i be a marquee man so we're gonna we're gonna milk it as much as we can now he he, he offered to do uh chris meyer's trivia show he wants to play he wants to compete against billy williams that was his one condition i'll do it but i gotta play against billy williams so watch for that. That's coming soon. Mike, I know you have a boat, so I'm sure you're about to hit the lake because it's uh, pretty nice on a Sunday afternoon here. I think even though it's getting a little bit later in the evening, some of those temperatures out there are perfect for an afternoon boat ride. How about that? That's a, that's a great, you know, I hadn't thought of that, but <clears throat> you're onto something there. Let me run. Wait, I do have one more thing. When's, when are you going to take me out on your boat? You guys call it. Uh, it's very safe, <laughs> socially distant. It's, it couldn't, couldn't be more socially distant. There you go. And, and word on the street is that Lake Michigan, record high temperatures when it comes to the water this summer. So, Mike, I'm going to give you a ring and we're going to hit that lake sooner rather than later. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike McCarthy, general manager of Marquee Sports Network and the key catalyst for getting Bill Murray to do that, well, unforgettable seventh inning stretch on opening night where Kyle Hendricks fired an absolute gem. Mike, always a pleasure. Thanks for stopping by, man. Thank you, guys. Keep up the great work. We're very proud and lucky to have uh, both of you. Always good to have Mike on the podcast. And uh, now joining Taylor McGregor and myself, as I originally told you, he's our Cubs reporter from Marquee Sports Network. It's Tony Andraki. And Tony, you know, we touched on the fact that the Cubs went out there and they got David Ross not only his first career win, but they got him his first career series win. And they did it in a rivalry that's getting hotter than West Texas asphalt. The Brewers, the Cubs, we know. There's a lot of chippiness between these two teams, and especially with a completely empty ballpark. I mean, you can hear everything around the yard. And these guys on Saturday, we almost saw some of those tempers flare up, right? Yeah, it was got chippy there Saturday for a bit because you can hear, as you guys were already talking about, you can hear everything. You can hear a pin drop at times. The the uh, fake crowd noise, the artificial crowd noise, it, it definitely drowns out some of it. But on Saturday, it, you could hear the Brewers and the Cubs, you know, going back and forth a little bit. They were unhappy about Javi got hit with a 96-mile-an-hour fastball, and uh, Wilson Contreras almost got hit. So those guys were unhappy. The Brewers didn't like the response. It, it, things just got a little chippy, but cooler heads prevailed. Nobody obviously got even close to each other because, as we know, brawling or, or getting even close to a brawl this year is quite a bit different because it's automatic suspensions, and it's just a lot in, in the midst of the virus and the pandemic. So – Good that, it, that that certainly didn't happen. And it was a great weekend for the Cubs all around. I think there was a lot of reason for optimism from these first three games. Yeah, we saw those guys get hit. We saw Anthony Rizzo hit on Friday night. And then we saw Wilson Contreras and Javi Baez. They were plunked on Saturday. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys are in line with me, but I think that it's time that one of those Brewers, next time they cross paths, they're going to have to wear one because you don't come inside to Riz, KB, or Wilco because those – 
those guys are the bread and butter when it comes to this Cubs offense. Now, Taylor, when you talk about the weekend set, the Cubs offense, certainly with a punch of life on Sunday, nine runs in that fourth inning. They played at four runs, and these guys, you know, since 2018, the Cubs, they've won 87.7% of their games, and they scored three or more runs in an inning. And that fourth one on Sunday, it was big. Yeah, and the best part about that inning for me is that the production came batters four through nine. Now, you look at the top of the order. These guys are proven major league hitters, so you know those guys are going to hit. So if the bottom half of the order can continually produce like they did today, and really like we have seen a little bit um, in the first two games, I think it's going to be really exciting, the depth and the length of this lineup. Uh, David Ross has said that's the strength of this team. There were some question marks. You know, what is it going to look like for Ian Happ, Kyle Schorber, Albert Almora, Nico Horner? And so far, I'm really encouraged about what I saw on Sunday from, from this Cubs team, looking forward to what they can do as we go to Cincinnati. Absolutely. Cincinnati, that's going to be the real proving ground for this Cubs ball club. Guys, we know that they're 2-1 and one right now, but there's so much more baseball left to be played, even though this will be a truncated season, a sprint, as we touched on, a million and a half times, 60 games in 63 days. You know, we like to accentuate the positive here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast, which, of course, was Kyle Hendricks on Friday and Tyler Chatwood on Sunday. But we also have to touch on some of the negative, and that would be the performance of you, Darvish. And, and Tony, we know that you has everything under the sun when it comes to his stuff. It's just a matter of putting everything together, which we did not see on Saturday. Hopefully we will the next time he toes the slap. Yeah, he, he admitted that he just wasn't as sharp. And just like we talked about in the last podcast, too, after his exhibition outing against the White Sox, Darvish just still feels like he needs to get his feel back on some of his pitches. Uh, he was talking about you know, wanting to get his uh, his hard cutter and some other pitches working a little bit better for the next time out and get the feel back. But he did feel better this time than the exhibition or the, the inter-squad scrimmages that he had done here in summer camp. So I think, you know, Darvish is obviously a huge key to this rotation. We all know what he's capable of. We saw that at this second half of last year. But to me, you know, I, I like I know Darvish is going to come around and he's going to be – he may not be as dominant as he was in the second half – and he, but he and Hendricks will give you great starts and give the Cubs an opportunity to win a lot of games. But Chatwood, to me, was this standout in terms of pitching this weekend because he is a question mark. And, and we've seen the up and down career that he's had in Chicago so far. But if he can go out and continue to prove guys like David Ross and Tommy Hadovy right, those guys who have been really backing Chatwood for the last few months, I think that could be a huge, huge boost to the Cubs rotation. Yeah, Tyler Chatwood, we saw him pound the zone with that fastball. He was all about location, location, location. And then he used the wind to his advantage when it came to his off-speed stuff. I mean, he had that that wipeout slider that just made the Brew Crew hitters look absolutely futile. Now, Taylor, let's get back to you, Darvish, because as Tony touched on, he was all about ownership and accountability. He said he wasn't as sharp as he needed to be, didn't have his A-game type stuff. So what are we going to see the next time you Darvish is out there on the hill? Are we going to see him bring everything he needs to bring to the mound? Well, I think if the history of the past few games, as far as exhibition game, and then his most recent start, if those point to anything, it's that like Tony said, he's gotten better a little bit each time. And he said that. So I think we can look for him to be better in his next start as he continues to find a feel of his massive arsenal, all of those, those pitches. 
Um, so I can't tell you exactly what it's going to look like as far as that next step, but I do believe he will take some sort of step forward and we got to give him credit. I mean, it's not yeah. like he went out there and was horrible. He still, um, did some, did some positive things. So if he can add to that a little, um, I think it's going to be good. Okay. Maybe just a little fine tuning for that man who is in the number two spot in David Ross's rotation. Now let's continue to talk about that pitching staff, but let's go in a different direction because Tony touch, we saw Brad wick. We saw him come in on Saturday and then on Sunday headed to the 10 day IL with that bum hamstring. So that means the door for Ryan Tapera. It's wide open. He's back on this ball club, and he's back from South Bend, which is good news for him. Yeah, it is. Uh, Tapera is a guy that comes like and believe in it. Ross was touting the fact that Tapera pitched for five, six years in the AL East for the Blue Jays, going up against those lineups that the Yankees and Red Sox and Tampa Bay Rays have rolled out over the last few years. And Tapera has had the ability to, to be a very successful late-inning guy even against those lineups. So uh, the Cubs like him a lot. They just felt like he – he needed a little bit more time than to be on the opening day roster because he had a couple of process-related issues. We know, obviously, the testing process that the Cubs have gone through for the virus here in summer camp. And due to that and some other issues, Tapera just wasn't able to get off the mound in bullpens or uh, scrimmages or exhibitions as much as they wanted him to. So he's a couple, couple days behind the rest of the guys. But, yeah, they think he's really going to eat up a lot of big innings for this team. And you know, it's a good thing, too, because I think the bullpen is very fresh going into the Cincinnati series, him included. Yeah, so Taylor, Brad Wick, he goes to the IL. That's on the 25th of July. Maybe break down some of the framework for us. Even though it is 10 days, is it going to be 10 days? And on that 11th day, we'll see him back with the ball club. Are we going to see maybe a little bit of a departure for Brad Wick when it comes to him being in a big league uniform? Only time will tell, right? I think a, a lot of that's going to depend on the velocity of his fastball. That was something David Ross said that was lacking and part of the reason that they decided to put him on that IL. So I think depending upon what we see out of his velo on uh, South Bend, as he works his way back into trying to make the, the big league club, um, it, it's going to depend on that velocity. Absolutely. Now, success not always predicated on velocity. We saw Kyle Hendricks bring that old adage to life on Friday. But when it comes to Brad Wick, you need to see him ramping up when it comes to those MPHs. And that's exactly what David Ross wants to see before he puts that big league Cubs uniform on back again. And until then, we'll see him down there in South Bend. Hopefully he's on the mend and getting better as each and every single day in our passes. Now, the Cubs, as we know, they're about to hit the streets. They're going to head to Cincinnati to take on the Reds on a Monday matinee. So, Taylor, when it comes to this team going on their first road trip, I think a lot of protocols will be tested, and they will step out of the norm from what they've known for the last, basically, three weeks. What's going to be the biggest challenge, not only for this team on the field, but off the field as well? I think the the newness of being in a hotel, the exposure that they will be on the plane, um, being in areas where it's not their space. You know, they can be here at Wrigley. We know everything's sanitized. They can get in their car, they go home, and they know all of that's clean. But when you have to get on a plane, get on a bus, and then get, on, get to the hotel, I mean, that is the X factor as to where this virus could lie. And I think 
Uh, the traveling has long been something that every ball club looks at and says this is really when we're going to get tested. I know Wilson Contreras in his post-game interview saying that he's bringing his own sheets and pillow because uh, he doesn't trust the hotel. So I think there's a lot of X factors, just things that are new and things that these guys can't own um, that's going to bring a lot of question marks. Absolutely. You know, one guy who will not be a question mark, hopefully, is John Lester. He's the fourth starter in David Ross's rotation. He's going to get the pill versus Cincinnati. He'll be squaring off versus Wade Miley. And, uh, Tony, this is a battle of left-handed pitchers. What can we expect to see of the former World Series champ, John Lester? Yeah, I think it will be really interesting because I'm curious to see where he's at pitch count-wise and in terms of being stretched out. We have been talking with Ross and, and Hadovi and – Lester just wanted to save bullets over the shutdown. Yeah, he obviously has a lot of mileage on his arm. As you mentioned, you know, three-time World Series champ. He's pitched almost another full season, basically, in, in the postseason in October. So he has a lot, you know, 14, 15 years worth of innings on his arm. So he wanted to save bullets and, and wanted to, to really ramp up when he knew that there was going to be a season. So he's not necessarily at the same level that a guy like Kyle Hendricks throwing 103 pitches or, you know, Tyler Chatwood uh, who was throwing all the way throughout the shutdown and was able to go to you know, up, work up to 80, 85, 90. So I am curious where Lester's going to be with that. If, if it's, you know, 60, 65, 70 pitches, but then how efficient he is, because if he's, if he's on his game and he's able to use that cutter and, and locate his four seam fastball the way he wants it to, he can be very efficient. He can make those 65, 70 pitches, stretch out over four, five, six innings. So I think it really does come down to the efficiency and, and see how it uh, how it performs. And then, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of curious in general. It's a look Reds offense out there with a former Cub, Nicholas Castellanos, and some other guys in that lineup. So uh, I know Mike Moustakis won't be there as he's now on the injured list. But be curious to see how, how Lester fares against a, a team like the Reds now that's kind of this new upstart in the NL Central. Yeah, that's that's good news for John Lester that Mike Moustakis will not be in that roster in that lineup on Monday because uh, we saw Moustakis on opening day. He hit a home run all the way to Akron from Cincinnati's Great American Ballpark. So there's that. Uh, I want to flip the coin a little bit, Taylor, and ask you about John Lester. What do you think is going to dictate his outing on Monday in Cincinnati? Will it be that pitch count? Will it be where he's at inning-wise? Or will it be plain and simple his production out there? I think the the pitch count – you know, we saw with Kyle Hendricks, David Ross played on sort of where Kyle was at, and uh, he has a very good feel, obviously, for his for his pitchers because of his track record as a catcher um, as to when they're they're good, not so good, and when he can pull them. But I think with Lester, the X factor is his age, uh, the amount of innings that he's put on. Tommy Hadaby has said it. Every guy is going to be on a different type of um, – process here you know it's not one size fits all so I I do think with with Lester it is going to be more of a pitch count monitoring that because his body doesn't doesn't work the way that some of the younger guys do so I would say pitch count is the answer to that okay now Taylor we know that uh you know you covered the Colorado Rockies for the last two years before coming over with us here at Marquee Sports Network to cover the greatest team in the history of civilization, the Chicago Cubs. But <laughs> during your time on the road with Colorado, I'd imagine you've been to Cincinnati before. But my question to you is, have you ever had Skyline Chili? Because it really, all it is when it boils down, it's just tomato water with meat chips in it. Even if you put it on hot dogs, it's still terrible. Have you had it before? 
No, I haven't. And that's really disappointing. You know, Seattle Central is interesting because the food choices, I mean, what stands out to me is Pittsburgh, where where they put the French fries on the salad. Permanente Brothers on the sandwich. Yeah, Permanente Brothers sandwich. And the salads. I ordered a salad once and I got um, French fries on my salad. Well, you have to have balance. to be healthy. (laughs) Really, truly. So, the NL Central is interesting. Obviously, Chicago takes the cake with the pizza. We got the the cheese curds up in Wisconsin, but I haven't tried this this uh, what what did you call it? Chili? Skyline Skyline Chili. Skyline like Chili. I said, haven't tried that yet. So tomato water to make the full rounds. Tomato water with meat chips. Tony, have you ever had Skyline Chili? Hopefully for you, uh, I'm hoping that you have not. No, and I haven't had tomato water with meat chips either. So I'm not either. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. If you could imagine that, that's what it is. And try to put it on, on a hot dog. All it does is make the bun wet. So it's like your Joey Chestnut out there at the Nathan's 4th of July hot dog eating contest trying to choke down soggy buns and below average hot dogs with, with chili on it. That really isn't described as chili anywhere else outside of Cincinnati. But uh, when, it, when it comes to this team, I mean, I, guys, it is a small sample size. Tony, I'll start with you before we head out of here on this Cubs weekly podcast. The Cubs, two and one. You know, a- after a whole weekend, there were only two un- or three undefeated teams. So the Cubs right in the thick of the mix. And it's not like every game is really worth 2.7 because every game is worth the same for every single team. It's almost as if, Every team started on July 23rd or 24th in a deadlock tie, right? Yeah, it is. And and it's important just in the sense that uh, a winning streak or a losing streak can really determine what happens in September. So if the Cubs are able to obviously carry this going, say they go three and one or again in the next couple of series and and they get out to like a 10 and four type of start, that's huge. I mean, that that gets very, very close in such a truncated season to almost locking up a, a playoff spot right away. But obviously we know this game can turn very quickly. And uh, it seemed like the Cubs, it, it's very, very possible that they could get out to a, a, a start that hot and really put things together. So I'm curious to see how this, this all plays out with the team. But just, yeah, I really think, you know, my main takeaway is the David Ross effect and, and how real it has been throughout spring training, as we all saw in Arizona, to then summer camp to now. I, I like the the energy and the fire, the competitive spirit that he has provided with this team. And I think that, that he can, he can get this boost. I mean, you, you saw these guys uh, and Taylor, you were down there right behind their dugout. I mean, they're loud and they're, they're cheering each other on every foul ball. These guys were really getting into the, throughout the, the lat, at all three games of this week series. There's no doubt. I saw it firsthand. You know, who is a really funny, sneaky, funny, um, Steven Souza Jr. <laughs> I feel like he brings a lot of energy to the dugout because I watched him and he was one of the guys that was chirping at Lester and Chatwood uh, the other day when they were sitting in the stands behind the dugout. And it, it was fun to watch. You can tell that they're enjoying it, which to me, when you enjoy the game of baseball, it sounds simplistic. Some guys don't because they're so hyper-focused, but when you can enjoy it, it frees up a lot. And, and that's what I see out of the Cubs, which, to me, it is awesome to see. Yeah, you think they have a whole lot of fun out there. After all, they're playing a child's game and getting compensated extremely handsomely to do so. And uh, when it comes to David Ross, we know that he joins Dusty Baker as the first Cubs skipper since 2012 to go out there and win his debut game. And Taylor, before we get everybody out of here, we know that this year, as short as it is, there can't be too many streaks of the losing variety. We know last year, 
nine losing streaks of three or more games. They won on opening day, and then they dropped six in a row. And then they had that nine-game skid from September 17th through the 26th. This year, if you lose back-to-back games, that's all right. That might happen, but you can't have games or losing streaks, rather, of three, four, five games. That's something you simply cannot do in 2020. You know what? I I think the thing that scares me the most about getting on maybe a two to three game losing streak is how that could just snowball. Because what happens when guys feel the urgency to win is they start to press. And we all know in baseball, that's never going to get you the results that you desire. So that's the part to me that a losing streak scares me because there is more pressure of needing to win. And um, when that pressure with with that pressure sometimes can bring negative results. So I do think the Cubs have a leg up because they've had their backs against the wall. So maybe they don't feel that pressure as much and they don't feel that need to press as much and they can kind of stay true to who they are. Um, but that's kind of the the, th- the things that I've thought about when it comes to this shortened season and the urgency to win. Yeah, angry muscles turn into tight muscles and tight muscles usually not conducive to being successful at the game of baseball, but the Cubs, they're hoping to channel some of that success they had over opening weekend to the Charm City, or no, Cincinnati is not the Charm City, it's the Queen City. Charm City is Baltimore, so the Cubs looking to bring some of that good energy, that positivity to Cincinnati and get some wins versus the Reds. So that's where we currently stand, the Cubs 2-1 after unbelievable outings from Kyle Hendricks and Tyler Chatwood, and it'll be back to the drawing board for you, Darvish, but if we know anything, his second half last year, it was as promising as it gets. So this year, he looks to bring his A game once again, just like Tony Andraki and Taylor McGregor, as well as myself. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast, presented by Wintrust, exclusive home of the Cubs checking using free ATMs nationwide. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. And remember, you can download the Cubs Weekly Podcast on Apple and Spotify, so do so immediately, if not soon. And once again, for Tony and Taylor, I'm Cole Wright. We'll see you here next time on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Enjoy the rest of your week.